0: genius it takes a lot to get on my show genius you're probably someone we'd like to know you're really good at stuff you probably like to dance you like long walks and you wear clean pants genius get onto my show howdy folks welcome to living with a genius i'm your host Omar crook on this episode i've got uh, composer conductor Matthew O'Coin. He is uh, conducting our current production of Akhenaten at Los Angeles Opera. He's doing a bang up job. I really love uh, working with him. He's very clear. He's very kind. He's a good colleague. And, uh, you know, we're thrilled to have him. And I'm really happy to have him on the show, too. We talk about a lot of interesting things going to Harvard and Juilliard and his first break as a conductor and uh, studying with Riccardo Muti, all sorts of things. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to thank you for listening. Hope you're having a good Monday today. I've had a pretty good week. Uh, you know, we've been really busy this time of year for classical singers. It's really, it's really busy. You know, uh, most of my friends have church jobs, and a lot of people do caroling, and there are Christmas concerts, and solo opportunities, and operas, and all sorts of things. It's a great, it's a great time to be uh, in Los Angeles because there's so much happening in this town now, especially downtown. It's really, it's unbelievable. Oh man, I went to the Broad Museum a couple of weeks ago. I don't think I mentioned it. It is spectacular. It's, well, first of all, I love modern art and I've, I've loved uh, modern art for most of my life. Even when I was a little kid, I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I worked by the Broad at the at the Dorothy Chandler and I had actually set up an interview with, with Matt O'Coin on that day a couple of weeks ago and uh, we had to rearrange it so I had a couple hours up there uh, downtown before I had to be at rehearsal so I just grabbed my badge and went over and they checked me right in and boy I'll tell you the the, the artists that they represent first of all are amazing you know like Jeff Koontz and Barbara Kruger and Basquiat and all just a tremendous collection of artists Murakami a- and it's the it seems to be the best work that each of those artists has ever created I mean the the Jeff Koontz. Uh, Michael and Bubbles, you know, is there. The, the giant blue dog is there. Um, Barbara Kruger's Your Body's a Battleground is there. They have, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. Anyway, if you all get a chance to uh, come by the museum when you're in town, or if you live in town, I, most of my listeners are here in L.A., you all should get over there. It's free. You call and make a reservation. It's incredible. Take it from me. Anyway, uh, I guess that's about it. Here's Matt O'Coyne.
1: Yeah, that's good. Right. Oh, shit, man. Sorry. Not to worry. So how close should it be? Uh, yeah. Around there?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, just good. To talk normally? Yeah, just talk normally. Exactly. Okay, great.
0: Sorry, that, these stands are a little bit wobbly. I, yeah, I have, this should stay. This yeah, is right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So good, man. Thanks for being here.
1: My pleasure.
0: Do you like being called maestro? No. You don't? <laughs> Matt will do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um... So, just for our audience, you are conducting our Aknaten. That's right. And you're the con- conductor in residence, which is a, a new position here. Well, in LA. you
1: know, the thing is, they're calling it artist in residence. Okay. Which I love because it's so vague. Oh, good. Um, because I, you know, I'm well, you're a, composer a composer too. Yeah. And conductor. And um, I do. Are you a pianist as well? I do play the piano. Yeah. yeah. Though I wouldn't call myself like a capital P pianist. Okay. But I, I, I know where the keys are. Um, <laughs> you can find middle C. I can find middle C. Yeah. <laughs> most days. And uh, so I think. Uh, the first time that that Christopher Kelsh uh, heard my work, it was an opera called Crossing, where I was actually conducting. Okay, the, where was that? The premiere. It was in Boston, mm-hmm. and so I think it was a very natural next step to say, well, okay, if they wanted to do that piece, which hopefully we'll be doing in a future season, sure. And um, he was interested in working with me as a conductor. Why not find some creative? Role that could that could uh, tie these things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And wh- what
0: are you, how are your duties laid out uh, here at the opera? What what does that look like? Basically,
1: I conduct two projects every season. Mm-hmm. This past season, it's Akhenaten, and my score for Nosferatu, the mm-hmm, right. silent film, which we did uh, around Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, also uh, regularly working with the young artists as a coach. Mm-hmm. And um, tomorrow evening, I'm conducting an evening of my music. Um, at the Colburn School, featuring LA's young artists nice. uh, singing and Colburn musicians playing. Okay, um, right. So it's projects like that as well. Um, projects that uh, will also hopefully get out into neighborhoods outside of downtown yeah, sure. LA with the young artists recitals and um, some outreach talks of and, of sorts, and all yeah. kinds of outreach. <laughs> and then what the position really leads up to is that. Um, I'm composing an opera for you guys, you know, a uh-huh. full main stage opera, uh-huh. um, which will go up in the 2019 20 season. Wow. Um, so as soon as Akhenaten closes, I got to go lock myself in a room yeah. and keep uh, composing back. Can you back.
0: talk about it? Is it something. Yeah, yeah tell me no about it. It's
1: a secret, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, the project, it's a co commission with, with, with the Met in New York, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I got to know the playwright Sarah Rule mm-hmm. through New York. Sarah is an extraordinarily musical playwright. Uh-huh. Her words, uh, sh- she's so attentive to silence mm-hmm. and and to the, the rhythm of The lyricism of the language, yeah. It's sure. this very simple, unpretentious, lovely poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I met her in New York and knew that I wanted to work with her, and I also knew that I wanted to write a kind of contemporary twist on the Orpheus story mm-hmm. because I have the same Orpheus obsession that, Pretty much every composer, ever. <laughs> yeah, what's
0: that about? Has had. Well, I, I mean, think what's the what's the concept that really grabs you about that story?
1: Um, it's about loss and mm-hmm. our kind of um, unhealthy tendency to do the worst possible thing. Like the the, the, the road to hell room. is uh, paved with good Paid intentions. Paved with yeah. good intentions. <laughs> Though actually, I have my doubts about Orpheus's good intentions. I think. Something that even in the great old Orpheus operas that uh, that I feel anyway mm-hmm. is that the structure of the piece is always pretty much that he loses her the first time mm-hmm. and he gets to sing the most beautiful music about it right. and weep about it and he right. seems to kind of enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he yeah. seems to really like... Indulge it, yeah. He's really indulgent and it's like, is this really about her or is it... And then he goes down to hell and, 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 and sings gorgeously again Yeah. and she comes back and then he loses her again. Yeah. Because he can't help himself. He can't help himself. Yeah, And he gets to sing gorgeously about it yet again. Yeah. Um. And so I have this strange sense that, that the Orpheus figure is actually the ultimate esthete or narcissist who kind of manipulates her and loses her. Yeah. Sort of on purpose. Sort of consciously. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of a twisted take on it.
0: <laughs> I wonder if it, it – do you know what happens after the after the show? I mean – i forget how the show ends Did this is a fascinating thing yeah. is that each no. opera has a different yeah. ending practically
1: yeah you know in, in in gluck and in monteverdi at least in some versions mm-hmm. th- they were required by the censors at the time yeah. to have a happy ending i mean that was just the opera yeah. convention so basically a god comes down at the last minute and says deus ex machina total deus ex yeah. machina says, you know, just kidding everything's okay yeah um but in uh, I wonder
0: if it's like the story of the prodigal son in some way, like it's it's he yeah hit him a screwing off, and then he comes back and
1: and then he comes and back and
0: everybody's fine, takes care of him,
1: I guess that's, that's the funny. optimistic way to read it, yeah, but I think in the in Ovid, which is where we get where we get the story originally, yeah he you know when she's dead, she's dead um and actually he goes off and and um has fun with a bunch of shepherd boys, which is a part that, that doesn't normally get the. That's funny, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of strange. It doesn't <laughs> doesn't get turned into operas as much. Uh-huh. So it's going to be a contemporary setting. Are you of including it. that part of it in your no, I'm not. setting? <laughs> no, okay, all right. <laughs> um, Sarah actually has a play called Eurydice, mm-hmm. which tells the story through the opposite lens. And so we're, we're bringing our ideas about it together. Oh, that's into interesting. This yeah.
0: Okay. How, uh, now, the one thing that, stri- that struck me about you right away is your youth. You're 26.
1: 26. Yeah.
0: How did that happen? Did I I want to say <laughs> who do you think you are, but that just doesn't come off. <laughs> How did I come while. to be, so yeah. young? <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's start at the beginning. Do you know, are your folks in music? Uh,
1: they're not actually. They're not. My my mom is a really musical person. Mm-hmm. She, she's one of those people who who just gets it. You can tell. Mm-hmm. She used to play. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what does she do piano? as a vocation? Uh, she works in technology. She works for Cisco doing you know software. Okay. Uh, Enhancement. I can barely even describe what it sure. does because I don't fully understand it. But uh, And how about your dad? I think it's complicated. Yeah. Um, my dad is a reporter uh, for the Boston Globe. And oh. for a very long time, he covered Boston politics. For a while, he covered TV. And now, actually, he is covering theater, though not music. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so you grew up so, with
0: a big vocabulary in the house, just floating around.
1: Yeah, my parents are both – my mom also freelance – Writes mm-hmm. and book reviews and so forth. So they're both super, mm-hmm. super literary people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: And uh, did you always want to be a musician? I mean, one of the things that I like to ask my guests, which seems to be a through line with most of my guests who, who perform and work at the highest levels of their fields, uh, the, the one thing that they seem to have in common is that everybody started from a very young age and knew mm-hmm. from a very young age that they wanted to do the very thing that they ended up becoming as an adult. Is that, was that I true did, for you? Yeah. yeah. I,
1: I did know, but I think I, I traced a very wide circle before I ended up... The curious thing is that I pretty much am doing right now what I dreamed I'd be doing when I was six years old, but it was a pretty wide arc because, y- okay, if a, kid, if a kid seems to like music, yeah, you get them lessons yeah. on an instrument. And mm-hmm. my parents did, started taking piano lessons. How old and were you then? And I was six or so. Oh, uh, when you started. So, it, which is not even that young. I right. I most... I think most concert pianists, interestingly, start by the time they're four. Yeah, my son um, turns
0: four in January, and we're 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 already uh, we're seriously. already at the piano. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, I think it's you know why not? It's yeah. like uh, treat it like part of the day. Yeah. You know? We have one in we the house. We have dinner. We have yeah. piano. Yeah. You know, it's it's just part of the part of your daily routine. Right. Um. So I started piano, and I loved it, and I had an aptitude for it to an extent, but I was a terrible student of it. I mean, I just would not practice what I was, was supposed to Was it the
0: teacher, or was it the instrument itself?
1: it was actually just that i'm a composer at heart huh. i wanted to make stuff up yeah you know i was just incapable of playing a piece of written music without making things up yeah and you know if i'd if i'd known that it was possible to make a life as a you know a, a creative artist in that way yeah. i would have just said oh i guess i should do that but it's a weird thing in in what we call classical music you know the model is you know the, the performer That's right? The, that seems to be the the thing the to strive. For. That's yeah. the path, mm-hmm. and otherwise, you know, you never and there make are the competitions
0: living. laid out, and there are certain benchmarks to, to totally work for. Yeah. And I
1: totally tried that path, but I never quite, you know, I just wasn't as invested in playing every single note. Mm-hmm. So when I was twelve or thirteen, I switched over to mostly playing jazz. Um, and I spent in my high school years. I was in an indie rock band, yeah. Um, and I think it was one of the best unintentional decisions ever. Because well, it,
0: it's cool to improvise. Yeah, I mean yeah. that gets expected. There you go. So you can do it.
1: You're supposed to improvise. Yeah. It opened up this whole other part of my brain and mind, and um, and also I think it 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 gave me a broader musical understanding. You mm. know that that sense of rhythm. I mean the kind of grooving that we have sure. to do in Akhenaten Sure. That's you know my rock band days are the most useful thing. Yeah. For that.
0: Um, And you you learn your circle of fifths playing jazz, that's for sure.
1: That you do. That you do, and your ability to think on your feet and react, and um, so then when I was seventeen or eighteen, right around the time I was applying to college, I kind of had a because when I was very young I was into opera. Mm -hmm. I was writing, I I was already writing sort of what I thought were operas, but they were just big messes basically. Uh, Were
0: you writing the drama to them or the music? Both.
1: Kind of both. Yeah, just I making mean, up shows. Making up shows. Wow. Um, when I was 17 or 18, I had a re-encounter with Verdi, who I'd known. I knew all the Verdi operas, but I hadn't listened to him in years. And I kind of realized, oh, my God, I need this. Hmm. You know, I need this in my life. And w- was there a moment that that happened? What was that? What yeah, was that? I just yeah. You know, found my old Otello recording with John Vickers, uh-huh. oh, put it on, geez. and was just, you know, yeah. blew my, melted my face all over again uh, yeah. the way John Vickers does. And so I I think I I decided, you know what, I don't care that the culture of classical music is a little bit stuffy sometimes. I think that's one of the things that drove me away Yeah, was this sense that when I played competitions, it was just this dry atmosphere and and it's stressful. And then I'd go to a jazz jam session and it would just be joyful and exuberant. And yeah. of course, you know, I still have sympathy with my twelve year old self. It was a pretty easy choice. Yeah, yeah. Like this or that. Okay, that.
0: And it's so collaborative too. That's what's yeah. so nice. You're not it's, stuck in a room by yourself all And the It's
1: time. not you against a jury yeah, or anything like yeah. that. But then at a certain point it was like, you know what? I love classical music enough that none of that matters. I'm just gonna I'm gonna dive back in. Hmm. So
0: growing, you growing you grew up in Boston, yeah?
1: Yeah, outside of Boston.
0: Outside of Boston. Okay. And was your plan always to go to one of the schools in town? Or what I mean, did you have any kind of plan laid out? When did that when did that happen, where you said, I mean, you just told me that you decided to go into classical music, and you were 18 or so, yeah. just going into college. And had you already decided to pursue music in college, or what, uh, I, I mean? I had. You know, yeah. I
1: I expected to go to a conservatory, mm-hmm. um, to, to whip myself into shape um, as a composer. Mm-hmm. For a while, I thought it would be more jazz composition, but then I thought it would be more classical composition, yeah. and... This is kind of a funny story, actually. Uh, w- when I was nine or ten years old, my dad um, did a journalism uh, fellowship at Harvard, mm-hmm. um, and so I got to l- listen in on some Harvard classes for a couple months. You know, mm-hmm. it was just a music classes mostly, and there was a great there's a great class called First Nights, okay, um, which is a, a, a music course for non musicians, mm-hmm. um, and basically what it does is it f- it it goes it follows uh, five world premieres throughout history Monteverdi's L'Orfeo okay. uh, Beethoven's Ninth, The Messiah Symphony Fantastique and I think Rite of Spring mm-hmm. and then at the end of the semester um, they actually premiere a new piece they have a composer come in and do a and do a premiere it's a great idea wow that's it, cool it, it, it introduces tons of people to music Yeah. and I remember I'd listened in on this class um, as a kid and I'd stayed in touch vaguely with the professor and when I was 17 or 18 I met with him again Mm-hmm. And uh, just as I was applying to colleges, and he made it sound like there was more music at Harvard than I thought there was, and uh, that, uh, it, uh, right. that it was kind of more—it wasn't a musical wasteland. Right. Right. So I decided, you know, what the hell, and I applied, and and when I got in, I thought, well, this this kind of leaves my options open, in a in a different way. Yeah. And the ironic thing is, it wasn't until college that I took an interest in conducting, but. I ended up being in one of the best possible places for it because there's this culture, um, at Harvard of student conducted orchestras. There are several orchestras and even an opera company uh-huh. that are completely student run. And we're talking like full thirty or forty piece orchestras. Yeah, yeah. Some of them perform in dining halls. Yeah. And no one knows what they're doing. You know, you're just it's just people who are interested in giving it a try. Right. But you end up getting more yeah, you know, it's like learning how to fly a plane. You get you get the, the the flying hours. Yeah. Um in a way that I'm not totally sure that I would have at a conservatory. That's right, at especially Juilliard.
0: I mean yeah. they they bring in, you know There's too many real conductors sure. around. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh y I it's funny that you speak of it that way because I think of singing in the same way. It's a very it's a craft, right? I mean it's yeah. like learning how to build a uh table or something like you can read about you can read books about building tables but if you go to a place where they just give you wood and a hammer and some nails and they say build this table and we're going to help you yep that's really that's really what it's
1: about it's going to be really bad at first yeah 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 but then you're going to engage with the materials yeah yeah
0: yeah there it is so you thought that you would really go to school to compose and then you ended up falling in love with conducting is what you're saying yeah and did one get in the way of the other? (laughs)
1: <laughs> they still do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: How do you split your time?
1: Well, ideally it's as much as 70% composing. I think that would be uh-huh. my that would be my ideal. Mm-hmm. Um conducting uh is draining. You don't always I'm just learning now to expect The kind of recovery time From Mm -hmm. any given performance Mm -hmm. You know you can't sort of say oh okay I'll wake up the next morning You mean physically or mentally or both Both yeah yeah. Um, Because you know For me composing is the thing That I want to do when I'm at my absolute Freshest Mm -hmm. it's the thing that I want to do first thing In the morning Mm -hmm. you know after The first cup of coffee without Mm -hmm. having done Anything else Mm -hmm. and just do it Until uh, Until I'm dry basically Do you have a system for organizing your day that way Basically, just leave the first half of the day open.
0: Cause I've got this—I've I I, got a friend named Sean Kirchner, who's a composer. He composes choral music, and a lot, it's been performed over at the Master Choral quite a bit. But he's got this system that he took from *The Lord of the Rings*, and it's on my podcast. <laughs> if you have a chance, let <laughs> us He's got like Dwarf Time and Elf Time, <laughs> and all this—like, it's very partitioned. So he does this, like you, he does this composing in the morning, and then he does. Yeah. He's got a very set routine. Otherwise, he said he just can't seem to get it, get it all done. And uh, can we help you? Yeah, we need to get Uh Okay. Uh, what, what is it that you need to do exactly? We need to get the wine and uh, champagne.
1: The wine and champagne. No, I know, I all this? Okay. We'll
0: just pause. Or All right. That was weird. Um, yeah. where was i (laughs) elf time dwarf time yeah 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 Uh, exactly so when you're conducting uh especially in a piece like akhenaten how do you decide who gets the attention
1: that's such a good question i mean
0: sometimes uh like in any performance with any conductor things start to phase or things start to get out of whack and how do you decide i guess is it through the rehearsal process that you figure out where the pitfalls are and who needs what that's such a good question. I'm not sure I've ever been asked it quite that way. Because um, there's a lot going on, and you have to make choices about who you're giving your time to.
1: Well, one obvious one is entrances. Right. When there's someone entering, you want to welcome them in yes. and, and let them know when, when something's coming. Yes. Um, but actually, something that surprised me about this piece mm-hmm. is that if a particular figure is physically exhausting to play, such as, you know, on certain instruments, especially the winds, then they actually need that attention, even if it's just going on. You know, normally when a figure is just repeating, Mm -hmm. you don't need to keep tending that fire because it it just kind of set it and forget it. Mm -hmm. But with this, to be frank, if you don't keep checking in, it's going to slow down because it is exhausting. It is physically exhausting. So you have to keep checking in with the people who are doing the most exhausting physical thing. Right to just say, keep it up. We can, we've done it before. We can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is it about the metronomic nature of this music that makes it so
0: difficult, where there really is no rubati, there's no, It just, it's relentless. Yes. But I find that with Puccini and Verdi, at least as a soloist, for me, it's so easy to just feel it together. There's no feeling it together with this piece, it seems like. I, I Maybe well, in the transitions you find that.
1: I think... There's another element, which is that in Puccini or Verdi, you actually want to hear the sensation of effort. You want to hear the heroic nature of the effort that everyone is giving.
0: Right, the humanistic element of that story. Or and
1: you know, if you're reaching for a high note, Mm -hmm. you want to feel how much that's taking out of everybody, or
0: how you you might not make it. How you might not make it. That's so exciting. Yeah
1: the trouble with uh, not the trouble but the challenge yes. with Philip Glass is that as soon as you hear the effort it sounds wrong yeah ideally you want it to sound completely smooth right and you know if so you were listening it becomes like a mantra it just becomes, it becomes a mantra yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah um and and i think glass is deeply influenced by by indian music so that there is that there, there is the sense that we have to just get into this atmosphere and allow it, it to drink. wash over you yeah um for Western-trained musicians, this is super hard. Yeah, um, it's not that it's super hard just to get the notes, but to get it without it sounding like you're giving 150.
0: Right, that's hard. And, and and it has to be phraseless in a way.
1: Yes, and and um, light. Yeah, it can't be. You know, I think we all have a mental image of what bad. A bad performance of Philip Glass sounds like it, just, dee, 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 dee. it sounds like a kid playing a
0: right or Cassio-tone uh, a yeah. Casio tone yeah. keyboard yeah Casio tone keyboard yeah yeah, a yeah basic
1: you know finger exercise yeah and we don't want that we want it to be fluid and timeless yeah yeah so that's the challenge yeah yeah the yeah. illusion of effortlessness
0: yeah I find that the that with us the as a performer the arc of the phrase is disguised in these little tiny tonal changes that he makes like mm-hmm. like there are these little mm-hmm. gestures that occur to change the trajectory of the emotional content of the music. Yes. And it's not as obvious, I guess. So as a performer, you don't have, you don't get, you never get to that, oh, mm-hmm. like, oh, that that resolution, that, you know, that, oh, you don't, it's it's just this this thing that keeps churning like a, you know, like a wheel.
1: It's a different shape. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not about achieving a resolution in a kind of Wagnerian way, because in a way, it's all resolved from the first chord. Right. It's about that chord as an atmosphere. Right. Which is a different different approach.
0: Right, right, right. And what do you think of the juggling?
1: I love it. I, I do mean, too. I, I frankly, I wish I could watch it more often. I'm yeah. a little bit distracted down in the pit uh, with with uh, conducting this thing. Yeah. But I feel like it's the perfect visual corollary I think so to the way glasses music moves you, you feel that too I do how do you th- feel when you have to do it
0: I mean I had I had uh Phelan and I had Sean on my show uh, Sean Gandini the juggler uh-huh. and uh, I was talking to Phelan about the juggling I, I said what what does it mean what what's the deal man basically mm-hmm. and then in typical fashion I interrupted my own question with with an answer saying uh that um you know it's, I feel like it's representative of the structure of the piece itself where you can see the counterpoint and you can see the visual element of what his music sounds like and then of course there's like the dramatic part of it with the civilizations going up and the way yep. that the crowd is reacting and at the end his death spoiler alert um but uh, is that kind of how you came do you put much thought into the staging that's a good question there's a question for you do you put a lot of thought into the staging as a conductor
1: in general yeah you in general uh yeah Uh, There are times when You disagree with a director But hopefully that's fruitful And I think in this case I was so on board um, With With Phelan's approach Not just to the Not just to this specific production But just to the way that he works With artists Which is so um, Welcoming And I wish we could have done it every time With with the chorus but, But as you probably know He did a kind of Circle Yeah 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 sure.
0: You know I I, I emailed mean, To grab this reserve. Lock it uh, Yeah I think I'm
1: gonna lock it I think you know He started the um, Staging rehearsals With the cast With a kind of circle You mm-hmm. know share your feelings Everyone just had to go around And mm-hmm. and, uh, and say how you're doing that day Did you participate? I totally did Cool And I also participated In the movement exercises He did um, in the first few days of staging, I wasn't sure that I was at first, um, but he, uh, Phelim, teaches four kinds of movement on stage, which which he learned from the acting teacher Michael Chekhov. Mm-hmm. Um, as sure. You know it, but uh, your your listeners might not. Um, molding, floating, radiating, and flying. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as he started doing these exercises, they're about like how you move through a space. You know, molding means kind of treating the space like it's some thicker substance that you have to mold your way through and floating means the space kind of makes you levitate. As soon as he started it, I thought, oh well this is so relevant for conducting. Because oh, that's, that's interesting. Uh, that's basically what you're doing, is you're molding the air or yeah. you're floating or you're you're radiating the the, the intensity the, the, or over, the character yeah. of the mm-hmm. music. Um so I had a blast. I spent a couple days just floating around the room with the singers. It was a great bonding experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, what do you prefer? Do you prefer conducting or composing? Uh, I think in my heart of hearts, I'm a composer. Yeah. In the sense that ultimately, I care the most about leaving behind pieces sure. that can have their own life. Sure. But something that I l- got from my years playing jazz i mean in jazz there's not really a distinction between performing and composing you know you're composing as you play Mm -hmm. so you know i have a lot of respect for composers who just do their thing and live that life but it's just in my nature that i want to work with people yeah and i want to have the catharsis of performing i feel like if i didn't perform i would be denying myself the fun part
0: yeah do you miss performing with an instrument
1: um i still do it you do occasionally oh you know uh, tomorrow night at colburn i'm uh playing a few of my songs with oh, you are. Uh, with a couple of the young artists um but what's nice is that i i only do it now in collaborative settings mm-hmm. uh, i i wouldn't i mean i would feel totally out of place giving a solo recital mm-hmm. or something like that mm-hmm. but if i'm working with a an artist i enjoy working with i'm happy to play along yeah no one's expecting Vladimir Horowitz at that point <laughs> <laughs> I, I can
0: imagine that um, conducting also helps you pay the bills I mean I can't imagine yeah. just sitting and, and writing and making that your only thing when you have these other first of all I see that you're a very social person so maybe the the paradigm of the conductor or the idea of the I mean of the composer <laughs> um, c- c- kind of doesn't jive with your personality
1: well I need it both ways it's you do. funny. yeah I mean for a month this summer i was in the middle of nowhere nova scotia with my partner clay and we just, you know barely saw a soul apart from him for, for for over a month yeah um i need that sometimes but i need this sometimes yeah and it's, it's about finding the right balance between between the two
0: yeah 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 i feel the same way yeah. so what um what's next for you let's say hypothetically we're 10 years down the road where do you see yourself wanting to be you know I, how is care, it different
1: i care the most about having written the pieces i need to write and of course you know there in anything we do there you want to be aware of the conflicting desires that you're feeling yeah. you know, you want to make sure that your motives are as pure as you claim they are mm-hmm. but i really hope that the the, the main reason i want to write pieces is just so that they can have so that i can give something to somebody yeah. and that the thing i love about a piece of music that's written down Is that even if it lay dormant for four hundred years and then somebody found it, it could Mm -hmm. take on life, which is that to me is so thrilling. It's like replayable time. It's like time you had the experience of the piece, and you know you it's like catching a genie in a bottle. Mm -hmm. You bottle it up, and then somebody else can open it someday.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a testament to that part of your life.
1: I think that the risk. And, and without in any way comparing myself to these figures, I'm just mentioning people who've, you know, composed and conducted. Sure. When you think of someone like Boulez mm-hmm. or, you know, Essebeckis Allen. You
0: want to say Mahler? Go ahead. Say Mahler.
1: Not saying Mahler. <laughs> <laughs> but sure, actually. I yeah. mean, Mahler, yeah. great composer. Don't we all kind of wish we had more than a dozen pieces by him? Right. I mean, he, he left these great symphonies behind. But when you think about it, it's completely bonkers that a man who literally. New opera mm-hmm. better than anybody, than anybody living. Yeah, never wrote an opera. Yeah, imagine what a Mahler opera would have sounded like. But yeah. he had a day job. You yeah, know, he had a day job that meant that he only composed three or two or three months out of the year. Right. And I think you know it's hard to measure these things in terms of like this is worth more than that. Maybe mm-hmm. the performances of Tristan that he gave were worth everything. Everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. But as far as us today, mm-hmm. I think we wish he wrote more pieces.
0: Yeah, I agree. When you're done with a piece, do you have trouble uh, letting it go?
1: Uh, It depends. Uh, Usually, I do make revisions. I'm kind of an inveterate reviser. Up to the
0: up to the performance. Beyond. Aha! Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: (laughs) You know, I'll hear the performance and then go, "Oh, I could get that." You know, we don't really need those thirty seconds. And uh, yeah. Um. But I, you know, with a few pieces, and I, I wouldn't claim that I'm a finished product in Mm -hmm. any in any way Mm -hmm. um, of anything I've written. There are only a couple of pieces that I think are really that I couldn't make them any better. Yeah. Okay. With most pieces, I'm still thinking maybe I need to go back and and tweak. It's nice to have distance, you know. I'm, I'm sure. about to, as we speak, you know, after this, I'm about to go ask Philip Glass some similar questions mm-hmm. um, at a mm-hmm. pre-concert, pre-show talk. And one of the things that I'm curious to ask him mm-hmm. is how his relationship with Akhnaten has changed. You know, whether it feels like is he more distant from it, or in some way has he gotten to understand his own piece better, yeah, now yeah. that he's seen it all over the world, right, you know, in a bunch of different productions, right. You know, what kind of experience must that
0: be, right? I, you know, uh, th- here's a question that I've asked. I think every single composer that I've had on the show. When you, first of all, have you experienced your own music uh, as an audience member? Yes. Okay. It's torture. There you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's actually easier to perform it myself.
0: Yeah. Well, I've got a, a, my best friend is a is a very well known composer, and he. Can't stand it. Like he, yeah. it drives him crazy. And then a couple of other people that have asked think say, uh, "No, I, I always learn something new about my piece."
1: Uh-huh.
0: And so, what, what does that say about about the personality? What is that? I haven't figured it out yet.
1: Well, I, am going to give you the 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 really cynical version. You okay. Which I think is me being hard on myself, but it, it, there's a kind of megalomania or something, uh-huh. or a need to 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 control. Okay. The way that it. Emerges, and one of the things, when you're listening to it being done for the first time, especially if it's you know an orchestra, Mm -hmm. it's only read it once or twice, and they haven't spent any time thinking about what it means, and they haven't really done that. Of course, you want to jump up on stage and say, "You're debasing my work!" (laughs) (laughs) But then you take a step back and you go, "You know, Matt, actually, maybe what you're feeling is anxiety about the piece itself, itself," the merits uh, of the piece on its own, uh, Mm -hmm. rather than." The, the performance, yeah. Um, so really, I think it's 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 painful, but it's one hundred percent necessary huh. because sometimes in the act of doing it, you don't have the perspective um, to hear the things that could be better.
0: Yeah, I, that's kind of what I've been thinking about recently with this. It's this, a uh, real tangent, but when you say perspective, you know, people never thought they were in the dark ages uh, when they huh. were alive. So uh, yeah, I mean, stepping away from it and having uh, maybe that's. What you're talking about leaving pieces behind maybe not after your death but maybe to be able to look back at the pieces as a reflection of parts of your life i think that would that's the most appealing thing for me yeah you know unless unless it's like this period is bell bottoms and this period, <laughs> period is cut off jean shorts and the, you know. i think i know exactly what bell bottom music sounds like Too yeah, that brings up, uh, uh you know that's the that's do you do you go back at your compositions that you you know created a long time ago and cringe Totally. is that is that a thing
1: well you know there's there's a technical aspect too you know there's uh. it, just like when you're learning to sing or learning to play an instrument you know if you want to achieve a certain effect mm-hmm. um y- you got to learn the tools sure. and maybe you know i i just i was looking at a piece recently actually where i just had the clarinet sitting up in the top of its register so much yeah and, and you're I, like, well, if
0: Gershwin could do it, I can. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if only I'd been going for a Gershwin kind of squeal. Uh-huh. but I was
1: going for something much lighter. Mm. And then I heard a performance of the piece. And of course, the clarinet was much too yeah. loud, yeah. much too present. And it was like, and I, I played clarinet for a couple of years. So I really should have known better. It's it's things like that where you just learn yeah, tricks. The of the mechanics,
0: trade. like the facility of being a good orchestrator.
1: And also, you know, early on, I think um, your ideas outrun your technique I, I distinctly remember mm-hmm. this frustrating feeling of having an idea and having a kind of mental sonic image of what I want a piece to sound like yeah and then you turn to the paper and you don't, don't know how to do it no how to yeah it's yeah. like what what am I actually hearing yeah is that like a harmonic is that a violin playing a harmonic plus a flute also playing a harmonic plus like a cymbal? Right. Or you know, if I add this spice, will the sauce be better? You know, it's, it's yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that. You yeah. Know? And the problem is, is you don't have uh, 60 of your friends sitting in your living room to
1: to, to test. To go. Yeah. Totally.
0: Yeah. Totally. I, have you had that experience where you think it's going to sound one way and you're like, holy shit, well that's just terrible. I have. Or that, or boy, that's a lot better than I thought it would be.
1: I'm happy to say these days on a basic level of like, what is it basically going to sound like? Yeah. I, I always know that whether it's going to really be effective or whether something's going to hit a kind of psychological climax the way I want it to. Yeah. You can never predict that. Yeah. 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 Um, but I've also been lucky to have friends, both instrumentalists and singers who have been willing to kind of be guinea pigs and give me advice. I have a violinist friend that I've written tons of music for and, uh, God, he's been so patient with me. I'm I'm late delivering a piece to him right now. Where he's, is he? He's actually we both we were at Harvard together but now very luckily he's in San Diego. Oh wow. Um so it's very easy to He came to Seattle?
0: Now after after Harvard, where did you did you continue your studies or did you just start writing music and doing your thing professionally? Well
1: actually I uh a somewhat crazy thing happened which is that I was conducting The Marriage of Figaro. Mhm. Um my senior year with this college opera company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a woman came up to me and and said, that was really good. I think you should be working at the Met. And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, me too, lady. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe someday. How do you get to the Met? Um, practice, practice, practice. Uh, and she's like, no, 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 I actually work there. Oh. And we, you know, I think we may need, there may be an opening for an assistant conductor. So the next week, March of my senior year, mm-hmm. I didn't have any anything firm lined up yet went to new york took the audition um and i was hired and yeah. for the first the first gig i did was thomas ades's tempest uh, which was a trial with by, hila sorry with hila plitman no it was audrey luna Ah. Uh,
0: i'm uh, uh, um, uh-huh. singing that impossible uh-huh. or yeah, nearly yeah.
1: impossible but but possible role, yeah. um and with uh with ades conducting and mm-hmm. so it was a trial by fire yeah or maybe by water Um, given that was the Tempest. And, uh, at the same time I got accepted into the the composition master's program at Juilliard. So I was living this crazy life of going back and forth across that street. Um, I ultimately did not finish the Juilliard degree. Yeah. Um, because,
0: because you were doing what you wanted to do. Yeah. I would imagine. I think it was,
1: it was, there was a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I was lucky enough to spend a couple of years, um, Assisting Riccardo Muti. Oh, what's, um, with, what's that like? With the Chicago Symphony, uh, it's. Fantastic. I've heard, I mean, I've and heard all
0: sorts of things about Muti.
1: It's deeply old world. You're right. Um, in the sense that we didn't spend very much time one on one. Yeah. But whatever I know as a conductor, mm-hmm. I, I learned watching him.
0: Wow. He. I don't was, see your styles as any. We, i maybe not, not your maybe not your conducting style but your rehearsal style i mean you're you're really egalitarian you're very sweet to everybody you're very respectful you treat us like colleagues and not <laughs> you know minions <laughs> uh i i've never worked with ricardo but i i've heard that you know it's like my way or the highway
1: it is though he's mellowed i see i, I think certainly he has mellowed and well to start the m- most important piece of advice he gave me was Purely technical, ah. and you know, people listening on the radio won't be able to see this, but I'll explain what I'm doing. If yeah. you give me your, your arm. Yeah. He said, "L'orchestra si controlla mm-hmm. Qui. Mm-hmm. qui, non qui, non qui." Ah. What he said was, "You control the orchestra here with your wrist. Yeah. You don't control it with your fingers. You don't control it yeah. with your, your arm. arm. Mm-hmm. You control it with your wrist. Mm. And there's so much wisdom in that because the wrist is flexible. Yeah. And the wrist is a center of activity." And one thing that I find amazing about Muti's conducting is that it might not look clear, but it is clear. Hmm. And you might even orchestra members might say, What? you know, yeah. what do you mean it doesn't look clear? If it doesn't look clear, it's not clear. What it means is he's not jumping up and down and giving huge clear beats. He's feeling everything between the beats with his wrist hmm. and he's guiding it. And somehow it's crystal clear, and it allows this amazing sense of legato right and it really changed i was i was much more of a i suppose rock not I'm a pretty full body conductor um but i was not i didn't have that kind of detail I see before I spent a lot of time watching Moochie.
0: yeah I would imagine what it does is it creates a scaffolding or a or a template for people to live comfortably in. Yeah. Right, like you have to give boundaries, and then you can backphrase, and you can go forward a little bit, and you can play with things within that, you know, right system, that framework. I like that as a, I mean, that's what a great pianist does for a singer, uh-huh. as they establish this space for you to play with, and you know that they're not going to hear you slow down and then slow down, and they're not going to hear you speed mm-hmm. up and then they speed up. They're going to be there when they're you need them, with and you. they're going to trust gonna... you that you're going to get there at the same time. Totally. You know. And that's, that's the thing about Akhenaten that's so terrifying, because we're all supposed to be doing everything at the same
1: time. Literally juggling.
0: And, and literally juggling. Literally juggling. I yeah. mean, that's the most... And when it starts to get off just a little bit, the audience probably doesn't even notice it, but it's like it's S- torture. It's torture. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh, tell me about yeah.
1: it. I, and and uh, I think that's one of the things that I've wanted to f- focus on with the orchestra Unfortunately, you know, of course, we have much less orchestra rehearsal than That's any right. other kind of rehearsal. I would have welcomed, you yeah, know, for this endless repertoire. time
0: for this. I mean, it's it's a it's, it's learning a new language. A new language,
1: and I think that it it feels sometimes like you could just stare down at the page and do your thing, but actually, you need to be listening all the time mm-hmm. because someone else is giving you the pulse that you need. Right and a pulse so. and
0: nobody's pulse is perfect so everybody's constantly making these micro adjustments yes I mean it's impossible to be totally metronomic for any human being really
1: well I'm trying to keep it simple down there yeah and, uh, that's well the goal.
0: I'll tell you it's a great show it's it's. I, don't get me wrong I love romantic Italian repertoire uh, me too but this this type of thing is always a standout yeah. for us so I'm really glad to work with you I'm very glad Same that you to came
1: Mar. it's been a real pleasure thank you and for being on the show and talking with you as well
0: alright thanks Matt so
1: have a good show tonight.
0: Thanks. So I don't know if you guys can hear uh, downstairs. We've got a house full of kids singing Christmas music. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. Uh, so that's my life. I love it. It's my it's my office and my house. So you know sometimes you just got to put up with a little bit of noise, but it's lovely. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the uh, interview with Matt O'Coin. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Greg Geiger for helping me with my theme song. Still loving it, buddy. Go to com. Check him out. I want to thank Michael Nielsen at MichaelNielsenMusic.com. He also is a co-owner at Ninja Tracks. He's let me use a Shure SM7B microphone, and I love it. Thanks, Mike. Hope to see you soon. I snuck out and recorded the kids downstairs singing their little hearts out. I thought it would be a nice play out for today. Hope you all have a nice Thanksgiving. I want to thank you all again for listening. This is my favorite part of the week. And I hope you enjoy it too. Until next time. You probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get on to my show.